You're listening to another This Is Your Podcast production. Hey everybody, Brian Dunstan here. Listen up. So uh, the Maple Leafs announced the hiring of Brad Tree Living as their new general manager shortly after we finished recording episode 29. So our thoughts will be any of that new information. However, when episode 30 hits the airwaves, we'll be sure to include that and have lots of thoughts about it. Enjoy episode 29. I'm Dunstan, joined once again by my man Keith Reedy for episode 29 of the Puck and Hoop podcast, the Stanley Cup and NBA Finals edition. Yes, sir, we finally have the combatants for both Puck and Hoop championships, and it's going to take place real soon. So let's start, Keith, right Puck, because I think that's going to be probably the most exciting and closely contested championship of the two. So let's get into what the Florida Panthers and the Las Vegas Golden Knights have uh, to serve us in the coming couple of weeks as they get uh, set the contest for Lord Stanley's. Right now, uh, you know, the storylines have always been pointed to the Florida Panthers being the underdog because they have the eighth seed. And the Vegas Knights, what, this is their second trip to the Stanley Cup final. They've been in the conference finals four years out of the last six. So they're kind of like one of the have teams in the NA. But look, I think for my money, this series is a toss-up. Florida's been red hot since the playoffs began. Vegas has been a great team all season long. Couldn't ask for a better matchup in a final. Yeah, you know what? I mean, watching the Florida, uh, sorry, Vegas, man, that team is impressive. Really impressive, man. Like I'm, I'm shocked by what I've seen uh, with Vegas. And remember when we started these playoffs, I told you, ah, I don't really watch that much Western hockey. Well, man, I guess I've been missing out because, <laughs> you know, I'm watching the Golden Knights, uh, you know, last night and watching through this conference final. These guys are amazing. You know, we're talking, I think we're talking a couple of episodes ago about how they roll, uh, how they roll through their lines. And like, Last night's game was just more of the same, man. Like, at one point, Brian, this is how we're uh, as a team that rolls lines. At one point, the fourth line was the power play in the game last night. Like, that who speaks does to that? some depth. That speaks to some depth, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, and you know, William Carrier, Keegan Colasar, with a goal. You know, to to you know those though that was in the first period when they went up three nothing. Like I mean, you know, your fourth liners are playing, you know, like second or third liners. Some people, as we've said before, think that this is a team of second liners. Maybe it's a team of guys that are actually you know a bit better than you know second lines. Fair enough, but definitely everyone seems to be better than third liners. And once again, the ice time yesterday was incredible. I mean, the ice time was, you know, pretty much split down the middle for their forwards. You know, when I look at this, William Carrier, you know, a minute 19 of power play time. Nick Roy, three minutes of power play time, man. Like these are, these are fourth line guys. Keegan Colasar, who I, I got to admit, Brian, before this playoffs, I didn't know that 
you know, I'm not going to pretend that I did. But You're not the only one, Keith. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, I, you know what, from the, from the Vegas Golden Knights side, you know, I think this is going to be just like, I, it's incredible because the amount of energy they, as their opposition, you do not have a moment off. That's what I think that's most incredible, incredible about them. Well, you know what stands out to me, and since we're talking about the Vegas Golden Knights, I'm going to make this an appropriate comment for them and for you, being a Montreal Canadian fan. That stands out for me more than the fact that they roll four lines and they play three different goalies, it seems like, is uh, the size, mobility, and ability of their defense. And if you go back to the great Montreal teams of the 70s, you know, led by Serge Savard and Larry Robinson on defense, what did those great teams have? Large, mobile defensemen that controlled the game. And if you look at the defense of the Las Vegas Golden Knights, big guys, all of them well over six feet tall, all of them well into the 200 pounds, some of them up to 232, 40. They're a big, mobile, and mean defense. Just takes a hold of the game and doesn't let it go. And to me, you know, it's been talked about every year. What do you need to win the Stanley Cup? And sports is all about copying what the champions do. Well, every championship team in the NHL has one thing going for it, defense. And right now, the Vegas Golden Knights are setting the standard and the blueprint for how to win a championship or at least compete for a championship year after year is they do it from the back end. Yeah. You know, what's what's funny, though, is, you know, uh, with this Vegas Golden Knights team, you know, I, I constantly at their defense, uh, uh, sorry, at their whole roster. And I mean, you know, Alex Petrangelo, way back when, he was a, you know, top four pick, right, of the Blues. You know, Shea Theodore was 26 overall. But then, you know, they're doing it again with guys, picks. You know, fifth round picks, you know, undrafted guys on defense. And so it shows you, you're talking about the Canadians. It shows you that, you know, you don't, you know, you don't need to always have to find that top or that first half of the first round kind of guy to be your real, you know, shut down number one defenseman, top pairing, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, and I'd like to say that Vegas developed these guys, but they've only been around for so many years. Well, with well these they guys on this defense Luck Martinez. Yeah. So they've made some, they, oh, yeah. their front office has made brilliant moves, basically at the cost of their future. Because if you look at their draft catalog or draft closet, it is empty. They ain't got no draft picks coming but Brian, up, but they don't care because they're competing for the Stanley Cup every year future when you're the future is now you know why are you looking down the road if what you have done is successful and what they have done is very successful in vegas you know like this it's not shocking because you know they had a great regular season so no one should really be shocked the only shocking fifth year team is you know back where they are again that, that you know that in my eyes I, they're my favorite to win the cup I mean, big surprise. There's only two teams left now. But uh, they're, they're my favorite to win the Stanley Cup. So that's the only surprise is that they are where they are. Like, 
year, but regular season, you know, they've done it all season. I, I mentioned to you before uh, um, a couple of podcasts ago that what impressed me is they had a better road record than home record. And that home crowd is unbelievable. But the fact that they can go on the road and still perform at such a for me, that doesn't bode well for Florida. Uh, we'll see, though. Uh, absolutely. And I don't think you should discredit what Florida's done to get to this point in the playoffs, uh, about to contest for the Stanley Cup. Uh, they, they snuck into the playoffs by the skin of their teeth, but they got in. They've been in and turned it around against the historically significant best team in the NHL history, Boston Bruins. Um, they haven't looked back, and they've taken no prisoners. You know, carving up the Boston Bruins the way they did to win that series, push, pushing aside the Maple Leafs to win that series, seeing the Carolina Hurricane uh, in five games, I believe it was. So an yep. eight seed, an eight seed that looked like they were foundering through most of the season, has found their game at right time. The goalie, Sergei Bobrovsky, has found his game at the right time. They're getting great leadership from Matthew Kachuk. Defense, oh, their defense is playing like a frontline team should. So I don't know how you can say Vegas is the favorite. That's a, you know, that's a preference, I guess. But to me, this is such a pick it's not funny. Because, yes, you have Vegas, a proven great team. For, for Ever since they came into the league six years ago, they've been on. So you can't say they're nothing but a contender every year. And now you have Florida. Well, let's not forget, they were the President's Trophy Cup winner uh just a year last season. You know, they had a down season this year, but they can't, they found their game in time to play like the President's Trophy winning team that they were a year or so. So to me, this whole Stanley Cup final is a pickup because you've got the hottest team in hockey playing against a team that's playing probably the best hockey over the last six seasons in the Vegas Golden Knights. But uh, I'm not going to dismiss the the Florida Panthers by saying the Vegas Knights are the favorite just yet. The whole thing about road and away in this playoffs, does it really matter anymore? It seems like both these teams have proven they can win in the other team's facility. So I don't think, the what, are they going to play the draws every night? Are we going to have overtimes throughout every game because no one can win on the road? That'd be something to see. But it looks to me like this is going to be a full seven-game series. And it's going to be a war of attrition as the Stanley Cup final always is. I'm going to lean on Florida on this one, though, Keith, just to something to talk about. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to mention something to you. And, and this is what I don't, why I don't think and what I do not. Over Florida's last nine games, which encompass them sweeping Carolina and knocking out Toronto in five games, the opposition. Brian, over their last nine games, scored two or fewer goals in eight of those nine contests. The Bobrovsky factor. Two or, few, two or fewer goals. Like that, to me, is amazing. Yeah, you can say it's the Bobrovsky factor, and I, I kind of buy that. But what, I, what I'm going to tell you right now is I haven't – I'm sorry – um, over, say, the last nine games, Vegas has only scored, sorry, they've scored less than three goals twice. And those were their two losses to Dallas. Other than that, you know, like last night, they <laughs> six nothing in a 
Mm. You know where Dallas is after. Yeah. After Dallas had just won two really hotly contested games, you go out there, you storm out there and it's six, nothing, Mm. you know? Yeah. And so I I can't see, like, I can't see. And, and I'm every series is different, but I just cannot see Vegas's offense getting ground down the way that, you know, Florida has been able to do that. You, people might have said, well, they ground down the Leafs. So, you know, you know, Carolina doesn't score a high scoring like, you know, a highly um powerfully scoring team such as the Leafs. Boston and Boston or, was though. So they played two of the highest scoring. But but Boston Boston scored a lot of goals against yeah, a, against I know, Florida. I know. But but so did Florida. Florida, yeah. it wasn't really until they played the Leafs that they started shutting down. Yeah, and Keith, so. you know, that's the interesting thing about Florida though, is that Florida is an offensive juggernaut or was until the playoffs started in the regular season, yeah, or was until they yeah. got uh, got past Boston. Since they got past Boston, they've turned into this defensive, tough-minded, relentless. They were always about offense. They led the league in shots on goal. They had more offense than almost every other team in the league. They were up there with the Toronto's, the Colorado's, the Edmontons, and the Bruins in terms of goals scored this year. But it's their way they play and the commitment they have to defense that has gotten to this point. So the question becomes now, do they have to revert to their old selves to compete with Vegas? I don't think so. I think they've latched onto something that has really worked for them and has is continuing to work for them. So why not keep going with it until you have to change? And as for Vegas and their you know ability to score goals, I don't think they've faced a team yet that puts up a pre- the pressure on you like, Florida does. I don't think they've faced a forecheck that anyone uh, that they've seen in this playoffs like Florida has. So it could be a case where the immovable object meets the irresistible force. I don't know, but some great matchups. Yeah, over the last two Florida series, I mean, geez, they allowed what six goals mm. uh, against Carolina. They allowed uh, nine goals in five games against the Leafs. Yeah. So in both series, you know, under two goals a game. Well, that just, well, yeah, that just underscores exactly what Well, no, I was going to say, with all, those, yeah. with all those overtimes against Carolina, you know, five overtime periods, that's like, a, that's like playing another game and, and a half or more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I, no, I totally, I totally get it. But Borowski, for me, some that right now, Matt Kachuk is their MVP. I go with Bobrovsky because for me, what he has done has allowed Kachuk to to, uh, be there when it was time to make his heroics. But Bobrovsky making big save, and you saw in that game two against Carolina in overtime, Carolina could have won that game right away in OT. Easily. Should have won that game. That's right. But Bobrovsky was there. And, you know, to, to, to play those two overtime games and then pitch a one nothing shutout. Yeah. You know, like. Un- so, yeah. I mean, I, hey, look, I maybe it's recency bias because I just saw it is. Vegas <laughs> last night. But, you know, you know, Florida and Bobrovsky have played wonderfully. What, what I think, though, too, is I looked at. Um, you know, Florida, uh, sorry, Vegas has six guys 
in their playoff lineup who scored uh, more than six goals, six or more goals, these playoffs. It's just to show you that the scoring is coming from everywhere. And you said that uh, Vegas hasn't played a team like Florida so far in these playoffs, has not played a team like Vegas, that maybe they don't have the top end talent, but they come at you in waves and they do not stop coming at you. Yeah, that's true. No doubt about it. That's why it makes for a very compelling Stanley Cup final. And as I said, I'm, I'm going to pick Florida for sure to win this. I mean, I shouldn't say for sure because it's going to go seven with several overtimes, I imagine. But I, I, I'm going <laughs> to back Florida, not just because they beat the Leafs, but because I'm, I'm buying what they're selling down in South Florida. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with the Panthers throughout this series. I mean, if, you, if you're going to go with the goalie matchup, I guess, you know, goalie they used to say that's who wins yeah the series i guess you gotta go with florida you do but i feel a little i don't want to hear leaf fans saying well you know we want we lost to the eventual stanley cup who champion, cares about so, that you know maybe we were better than we than we thought we were yeah so, look that that, that 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 argument never held any loss to the nope. team that competed for the stanley cup for the last five years what does that mean you know what it means it means you lost that's what it means yeah. So that's a means they mowed you down. They mowed you down early. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> did. So it doesn't really matter. Anyway, let's uh let's move on to the NBA finals because I think it's gonna have some twists and turns that people aren't expecting. You look at this matchup now with uh the very surprising Miami Heat. Once again, South Florida, Miami Heat dispatching Boston in seven in Boston in game seven. We got to go into that. And now they're going to be taking on the Denver yeah. Nuggets, be the prohibitive favorites. But before we get too deep into the NBA final, Keith, look, let's go back to Philadelphia versus Boston. Game six. I said, if Philadelphia wins game six, obviously they win the series. If they lose, this series is over because nobody goes into Boston and wins a game seven. Well, flash forward to the Miami series. They fly, they fly out of the, the box, go up 3 nothing, lose three straight. And what happens? The series is tied. Game seven. And Miami had a chance to win game six, except for Derek White and his heroics. I thought, tremendous yep. disappointment. How do you get up off the ground after being knocked out like that? Then you got to go into Boston Garden with all those ghosts and leprechauns and history and Celtic pride. You don't win in Boston. Miami blows them out. Now, it, it doesn't hurt that Jason Tatum twisted his ankle on the very first play of the game and was a shell of himself. But Boston never really had a chance in that game. And I, for one, am shocked. I can't believe I'm sitting here right now talking about the Miami Heat going on to face the Denver Nuggets for the for the Larry O. I'm shocked. I thought it would be Boston and O'Cakewalk, and it's not. I'm shocked, but I'm damn happy about it, to tell you the truth. Because I hate Boston, and how can you not like Miami? <laughs> <laughs> you know I hate Boston. You know what? Well, I, I, don't, I don't hate anybody, but I don't, I don't like Boston. Oh, I, oh, I, hate, fact, I hate Boston. Hate well, in, in fact, I really did not want them to win because I did not want to see them being the franchise that, you know, that made 
by coming back from 0-3 down in a series. Yeah. I I just didn't want to see it. I did not want to see the Celtics have another thing to hang their hat on and say, hey, we were number one. I totally get that. We're the only team ever to come back from being three down to win a series and game. Exactly. Yeah, now another notch in the, that is the tradition and history of the Boston Celtics. Maybe maybe next year, fellas. Maybe next year, not this year. So I'm going to give you two percentages, Mm -hmm. and this is why I think Boston is staying at home and Miami is on its way to Denver. Yep. 21.4. Know what that is. And 50%. -hmm. Boston shot 21.4% from three-point range. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 21.4%. Jalen Brown had another terrible three-point shooting game. Um, You know, Derek White, who, interestingly enough, had, what did they say? That he'd... Every single game, he'd hit at least three, at least three threes, three pointers. Yeah. He'd only he only hit two. I mean, hey, yeah. you know, he had an off two for nine. Yeah, he had an off night. Anyways, nine for four is what they shot from three. And you know what? Uh, Miami shot fourteen for twenty eight, but it's it's just not how many you shoot, Brian. As you know, it's when you hit them. Yeah. As well. And every time Boston needed a, or in the first half, uh, when they were trying to get it close, and they, or even in the third quarter at points when they had a chance to get it, you know, there was one point, I think they brought it to within eight. Mm-hmm. They took a couple of threes, wayward threes. One of them was an air ball. Uh, yeah, no, it was a jail and brown air ball. One of them was an air ball, and I think it just, you know, to use a pun, it took the air out of the Boston Celtics. I mean, it really did. It took it, you know, took the air out of everything they were going to do. To be beaten down, not just lose at home, hmm. but to lose by 19 at home. Yep. You know, after, you know, after playing such a tough game in, you know, game six. In Miami. Against, on the road. Yeah. Unbelievable to me. Well, Keith, you opened up a big door here that I want to talk about. And um, I hate this version of the Boston Celtics because I do have a little bit of like for the Larry Bird, (laughs) uh, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish front line. I think that wasn't just an amazing team, even though they beat up on my Philly Sixers too often. But let's talk about this Boston team. And the The way they play, Keith, I cannot handle watching it. To me, it's everything that's wrong with basketball right now. And the problem is this. I think that they took a page out of the Golden State Warriors handbook, except they must have been reading it upside down because they do not do what (laughs) Golden State does. Golden State lives three, but they make sure they get great shots. Mind you, they have the greatest shooter in the game, but they always seem to get a guy open usually Steph or Clay. When they're open, they're going to bang it down. Boston doesn't do that. Boston will dribble, 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 and and get a shot. They're not working it around. And when they do work it around, it But when they don't, they're just tossing threes up willy-nilly. You get a game like last night. And you cannot win like that. And if you do win like that, then God help basketball because it's going to be terrible to watch. I hate watching Boston play because as soon as they get a little bit of, I don't know, trouble, get down in the game, it's bombs away. There's 
no flow. There's no function with their offense. It's just about come down and see who can get a three off quickest. That's a terrible way to play basketball, particularly against a team well, as small as Miami. I never understood that. It's their a- philosophy in this series just baffled me. They, I won't say they have to work to get this one, but they, they certainly didn't make it too hard on them last night. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, Boston was 23 for 40 from, you know, from two-point range and 9 of 42 from three-point range. That at some point, you would go away from that. You know, at some point, I mean, again, you know, you've got Marcus Smart, no free throws. Al Horford, no three, no free throws. That's in 34 and 35 minutes, respectively. Jalen Brown in minutes, two free throws. Yeah. I mean, that tells me that you, that your team, you're not just, you're not going to the hole consistently. I know that they had some, you know, some, uh, you know, early success going to the hole when they were keeping it close, some nice pick and roll action, but yeah. To me, Jalen Brown, who you and I have been calling the 1A for this team in this closeout game, I mean, eight for 23, 35% he shot. Mm-hmm. That's un- that's incredible. In the playoffs is where you really make your. So, what statement did Jalen Brown make early on in the game, right after Jason Tatum injured his ankle? Um, who was it? I think it was Reggie Miller said, well, now it's time, even called him, for 1A Jalen Brown step to step up. Yeah. And man, like, one for nine from three yeah. and eight turnovers, Brian. Yeah. Well, Jeez, not, to, like, not to make any excuses for the way he shot the ball and some of the decisions he made and the amount of turnovers he had, but Jalen Brown was dealing with a hand injury throughout most of these playoffs. And I, I get that, you know, he, he was out loose, but playing with a hand injury, shooting the basketball, dribbling the basketball, you got to use your hand. So I got to think that that compromised him in, in some way, shape or form. And I don't care. You know, you got to find a way. If you're out there on the floor, look, you, you're not the only one that's nicked up. Half the, half the Miami Heat players were banged up. They showed up. You got to find a way to show up. So the question now becomes for Boston, since we are talking about the Celtics a bit here more than we are the Heat, but let's let's do away with this. Yeah. Is they've been how many times to the Eastern Conference Final now in the last three times, four times? I think three times. Yeah. Three times. I think. Like yeah. at some point, you got to you talk about breaking up the big four in Toronto. Well, Marcus Smart, Jalen Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum have pretty much been in every one of those Eastern Conference Finals, and they've yet to get to the final. Well, they got to the final one and lost to Golden State, but they have yet to win a championship. So what do you do? Jalen Brown's a free agent. So do you cut bait? Do you trade him? Do you sign him and trade him? Do you try find a way to change the chemistry of your team? Like, they have some serious decisions. Back Joe Missoula. You know, he was heavily criticized throughout these playoffs. I think he may have saved his job by the fact that they came back from three down, but that's still going to open up some people, his, some of his moves to questioning as to how they got in that position in the first place, being by far the better team than the regular 
having by far the deeper roster than the Miami Heat. And yet they found themselves on the wrong end of 3-love and ended up losing it in 7 and getting blown out in Game 7. You know, you add all that up, man, you'd think that there's changes to come. But this is still a relatively young squad. They're veterans for a while, but these guys are just entering their athletic prime. So some interesting decisions will be made by the Boston Celtics in this upcoming offseason. Yeah, I don't. I I don't think Jalen. Uh, sorry, I don't think Jason Tatum's going anywhere. No, Jason Tatum isn't twenty five. No, Jalen Brown. Yeah, is the one who's. Oh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying in general. Yeah, the, no, Jason Tatum's, Tatum's twenty five no, years old. No, you're not going to get rid of Tatum. His, yeah, his first NBA Finals. He was twenty one. Jalen Brown was twenty two during his first NBA Finals. Um, do you break them up? I mean, perhaps. Perhaps you got to look at. You know, wasn't exactly that effective these playoffs um as we've seen them in the past especially you know i, I don't want to go back to the three-point shot but al horford has remade himself into a three-point shooter over the yeah, last yeah not, not, six not or seven only years. that key he's their locker room guy he's their leader so yeah. that would be but a maybe huge the leadership's change that's got to change that would be a huge change yeah but you know but maybe that's the change you have to make you know he's al horford is 36 he's a decade older then, you know, then Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you know, maybe it's time to just go, hey, Jason Tatum, when do you guys take the mantle of this team? When do you guys, you guys have to be more well, responsible, maybe, okay, you, 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 you know, keep, and maybe you, steer the ship. You keep opening up these doors and windows for me to jump through, man. Um, there's a situation that is very analogous to what's happening in Miami, I think, with a veteran and a great young core. Honest Haslam. And Miami. Guy's been in the league for 20 <laughs> years. For 20 years. Yep. And they don't keep you in the league if you can't actually play. But this guy never gets on the court. And when he does get on the court, he's actually still effective. Now, that's not quite the same situation with Horford, who plays a lot. But they have the in the locker room. Al Horford is a guy who these young guys look to for their cues on how to be a professional basketball player and how to comport yourself in the uh, immediacy of losing or winning in a big game in front of the media. He sets a tone for them and a standard that the Celtics have loved having and probably want to continue to have. And I think that that's important to have on a team that has championship aspirations, which as long as they have a Jason Tatum, Boston Celtics will be having championship aspirations. So changing that, leadership completely over to young guys. I don't think that's a good move because we saw what having young leadership means in places like Memphis. We saw what having young leadership meant in places like Houston when Harden was there. It didn't work. It doesn't work. You need to have that guy, that, that OG, who play a whole lot, but still has impact on the team. Yeah, uh, I will mention that Udonis Haslam, it's funny, it's they're both Florida guys too, eh? That I didn't even realize that, Al Horford yeah. and Udonis Haslam. Yeah. I mean, geez. Ha I know, I, I think that I, there must have been something that made these guys Longevity. Are, yeah, but here's the, here's the thing yeah. though. Udonis Haslam made, what, $2.9 last year? Which sounds like a lot yeah. of money, but in the NBA of, you know, 2022, 23, that's, it's not... It isn't a lot of money. He made 
the basically minimum. they're paying him to be a coach, a coach on the floor. Now, will Al Horford, mm -hmm. who other than these finals, I mean, had a you know typical kind of Al Horford year, shot 40 over 44 percent from three in the regular season. You know what I mean? He shot, you know, good for 10 points a game. Would would Al Horford, can you keep Al Horford, whose contract is up, I believe, this year too, can, can yes, you it keep is. A, a guy who's making $10 million a year at, at that level who can still play and, and just be the elder statesman? I don't know if the economics um, actually uh, support that. And I guess if Al Horford is willing to slash his contract by a fifth, you know what I mean? Take one-fifth of the money to stick around. Who knows? Maybe him and Udonis talk about the situation and, you know, hey, it's not bad being an elder. You know? Well, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why I, I brought that comparison up because they do talk well, a lot. You, yeah. Both yeah. Being so maybe, guys, you it. know, maybe Udonis is advising him on how to transition into that phase of his career where he is that guy who can be that that voice. But you still got to clearly Horford. Oh, he can still, still play that. So, yeah. Anyway, enough about the Celtics, man. They're done and dusted. Let's get into this matchup between the Nuggets and the Heat. And um, look, right off the bat, Keith, I got to say this. I'm all about Denver this season. I'm all about watching. You talk about not liking the way. I love the way Denver plays. I love watching them play. The two-man game with Jokic and Murray. My goodness, it's a thing of beauty. And Jokic himself, just watching what he does on the court. Is, is brilliant. So I can't come out and say that, you know, they're going to hammer and the heat because no one's been able to do that yet. But I can't see this series being long. How can it be? Denver's just playing too well and they're just too good and too big. Yeah, you know what? It's interesting because I, I agree with you. But I've said this, to be honest, in every series that Miami is Right. I know. I, so I know. I've said it in every series. I mean, how can you? Yeah. How? Oh, how can they possibly win? But I mean, remember how we we're saying about hitting threes? It's not just how many, but Miami seems to be able to come up with the the big three when necessary. I mean, did you see Butler, who wasn't lighting it up for three by any means? He hits those crazy off balance threes. They're always from. You know what? I at one point I'm like. That is just a crazy shot. He's throwing it up, but it seems to be from the same point on the floor that he throws it up from. So I'm like, maybe this is a shot. And always pretty important time, yeah. too. Yeah, of the game. Like the guy knows when to pick his moments. Yeah, you know, I mean, so, I mean, again, I, I, I can't really um, count them out. I mean, you're correct. Jamal Murray... I think Jamal Murray is finally back to ball. Jamal Murray. I mean, what did he, you know. Which is a dangerous Yeah, thing. what did he have in the last series? Three games of 30, four games of 30 against the Lakers? I mean, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Incredible. And, and I say games. He had 30 in certain halves, right? In, in thir certain halves of play. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, in, in, uh, yeah, in every game against the Lakers, Except, no, in the last game, he only had 25 in the last game, Brian. But he shot he oh, shot 56% in that last game, you know? Also, overlooked, man. Dude is shooting. What is he shooting from? 
the playoffs. I mean, in his last five games. In the yeah, 90s? His last five games, 100, yeah. 100, 90, 100, 100. Like, so if you get into a close game with this team, you know, you can't even put them on the line in crunch time. You know, you, you just can't do it. Yeah, they're, they're a fantastic. You know what? But, LeBron's not a LeBron. But, I was going to say LeBron's not a guy who praises guys a lot, especially when the series is ongoing. But he was praising Jamal Murray and his play. So, I mean, I that my point being is I think that Murray is 100 percent back. Yeah. And that's a dangerous thing to have at your disposal. <laughs> yeah. I, but but here's that but I was saying earlier. Miami just seems to find a way to get in the face of the opposition, to get in the way, to hang around long enough to do things just to make your life hell. So whatever they're going to do against Denver, I can't wait to see what it's going to be, but it's going to be something. Because did you actually think they had a chance against Milwaukee? No. I didn't. I thought that was going to be a sweep. I didn't think they had any chance. Yeah, and then they get through that. You know, maybe Giannis. Giannis got hurt, and that that threw them off their game. I get that. That happens. It's playoff basketball. Boston's going to kill them. Nope. So I don't know anymore, Keith. I think that this whole heat culture thing, Jimmy Buckets, playoff Jimmy, whatever you want to call, and who the hell is Caleb Martin? Oh, yeah. What is that all about? So Yeah, another undrafted guy for Miami. Yeah. I don't know, man. I just I, I look at Denver and think they're playing such great basketball. They actually are playing defense. Uh, I can't see anybody beating them. I'm not going to count Miami out. I want to count them out, but I'm not going to. I'm still going to pick Denver, though. <laughs> Brian, uh, okay, picking Denver, but how much does the possible return of Tyler Hero they say he's targeting game three of this series, which would be the first game back at home in Miami. Well, that's, How much does the return of Tyler Hero factor into what the Heat can do? Even, like you just said, who the hell is Caleb Martin? But now, you know, or I don't know if Martin goes back to the bench. I doubt it. I mean, Hero's been out for a long time. Uh, as you said, right? With and what, and uh, he's used injury, to coming off injury? the bench, right? He was sixth man of the year. So he's used to coming yeah, off yeah. the bench. Yeah, he ha- he has. He's played off the bench before. But this just gives you, you know, I, I best three-point shooter back. Another 20 points a game, In right? the middle of a series. Yeah. yeah. Your best three-point shooter comes back. And he's killed Denver this year, by the way. 26 points a game yeah. against the uh, Nuggets, shooting over 50%. Well, the only question there but, is, the only question there is, he's been out for a long time. How effective is he the crucible that is the playoffs right so yeah this guy is a gym rats gym rat though you know what i mean yeah i give this i've i've seen him hit you know so many shots in the past where i'm just like no yes you know what i mean that kind of he, guy he is the ultimate so, no yes guy oh I, i'm not you know i'm not uh downplaying what what is six weeks how many weeks he's been out it's about, i'm not downplaying you know yeah how much that can affect your game. But I mean, just to have him back at home and knowing your best three-point shooter 
you know, at your disposal when you really need them, you know, especially during those lulls of offense that Miami can have, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Plus he's, he was their main pick and roll guy mm-hmm. with Bam, him and Jimmy Buckets. Yeah. So all of a sudden, here you go. You got, you have more, you know, an offense that you've used throughout the year available to you. You know, it's another interesting thing, a battle of, of converted Kentucky shooters into uh, point guards, right? Mm-hmm. You know, with, with Hero and, and, uh, and Murray, you know, so this is a very interesting series. I mean, I can't. And I cannot put Miami. Miami, Denver is the favorite. No, Jokic, Jokic is the favorite to win Finals MVP. Uh, you know, so. But I mean, I Miami, you they've got to be down. Miami's got to be down three nothing in this series for me to count them out. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right. Well, that we we picked our favorites in both Buck and Hoop for their respective championships. We're gonna come. We're gonna take a break here, Keith, and we're gonna come back with news from Leafland and Raptorland. All right, we're back from break, Keith, and uh, let's start off. Hey, let's go back to the world of Puck and start with the Leafs, who at this moment are still GMless and still have a whole whack of signings to contend with in the very near future. Um, it's almost like, is it the old chaotic times again for the Maple Leafs? I'm not sure it's gone that far, but it does beg a question. Um, what's really going on behind the closed doors? And the doors have been closed quite tightly in Leafland since Brendan Shanahan had his uh, itemized, detailed press conference about what went on between him and Kyle Dubas. But uh, we haven't heard who the GM is. We know that they're interviewing people some names have cropped up but yeah and you know what it's funny um you'd want to with the amount of activity that the Leafs need to have within this next month the amount of decisions you know hey look who's out there and available uh in GM land unless you're going to get Florida's uh, GM or Vegas's GM Go out and make a move. What are you waiting for? You know, like you, you really, you know who, you know who everybody is. Do you need to go through exhaust? You, Brendan Shanahan said he was going to get a GM with NHL experience. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean a guy who's been an well, NHL Keith, GM? Keith, he didn't. Keith, yeah? he didn't say that. He said he that would be something he would like. He didn't list that as, you know, a must-have. I, but he did put that out there as a well, criteria. Well, yeah, and, and that's what I mean. But does that mean a guy who's yeah. been an NHL GM or does it mean a guy who's had experience in the NHL, Not maybe not at the GM level? It's pretty open. Um, it was very open. But, you know, you only have a certain amount of time with a month to go before all of this free agency um, decisions have to be made, before you can start signing guys. I think you really have to make, a, you know, get a guy in there who's going to be part of the process. Unless, as I've heard, is Brendan going to be the de facto GM during this next month? And whomever he brings in, um, is Brendan Shanahan doing that work right now? Are the assistant GMs doing that due diligence right now with players? I, I assume they are, but is Brendan Shanahan? I would think they'd have yeah. to. 
and then going to be making these decisions now? Is a new GM going to end up coming in and just being a guy who rubber stamps the moves that the Leafs have already made, which then even more so makes me scratch my head about the Kyle Dubas, what they're doing. But uh, I guess time, you know, you have to wait because is it fair to a guy, you know, to jump into the Leafs organization and say, you know, two weeks out, uh, hey, take over the most storied franchise in the NHL, at least one of the two. Um, I don't know. I don't know, Brian. Yeah, and it, and it's not just taking over the most storied franchise. The the Leafs organization is deep and broad because you got to remember there were sweeping changes at the Marlies too, and that yeah. falls under the purvey of the GM's office. He's going to have to hire new people to run the Marley. His people and some but some of the people that are already here in line to what he feels he wants in a hockey team. And how does that marriage work with what Brendan Shanahan has? And the, and the pre-existing people have in terms of his philosophy. So that all has to come together in a short space of time. Which led to the fact that Brendan Shanahan said he wanted someone with experience. He doesn't say that it's a must-have, but I can see why. Because it sort of short or shrinks the learning curve. If you have someone who's done the job before, if they have to hit the ground running, which you have to hit the ground running here in Toronto, that's just because of the pressures of time. I'm very interested to see how much longer this goes on. I can't think, given what's ahead of the Leafs, that it does go on much longer. In fact, by the time we do another podcast, I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about X is now the new GM of the Maple Leafs, and here's what he's going to bring to the team, or here's what we think he's going to bring to the team. Work with Brendan Shanahan. But I think you hit the nail on the head, though, Keith. There there is work to be done, and it has to be going on right now, and it's got to be the assistant GMs, the people in the front office, the head of scouting and all that, the whole scouting department and Brendan Shanahan working in concert to decide what to do if they decide to sign this guy to a contract. What are they going to do if they're going to look at trades? How are they going to approach dealing with the guys who need to be re-upped? So those conversations have to be going on. The work doesn't stop just because you don't have a GM. It has to go on, and then the GM's going to have to come in and pick up the pieces well, interesting times in the Maple Leaf yeah, land. Yeah, for sure. sure. And, you know, two things that I, I'm thinking. One, you need it. I think the longer it goes on, you really do need a guy with recent NHL GM experience. So not only does he know how to do the job, but he understands the current players in the, in the NHL. 100%. I don't think you can get a yep. guy who has a, a, that steep of a learning curve in the longer you let nope. it run. But also, I mean, you've got to make those decisions. Um, are you going to extend players this season or at least offer them extensions and then see what their reaction is too? And I'm also, I'm wondering, you know, if you bring a guy in, does he have time to develop any type of relationship with the current players? And if he doesn't have a relationship with them, I mean, he shouldn't have one because, you know, he did in future. He wasn't it would have been tampering. He wouldn't have been here, right? So he shouldn't have had much <laughs> yeah, of a relationship yeah. with him. And how important yeah. is that that this new GM has a relationship with the, the Leaf star players, man? It's 2020, it's 2022-23. Star players in every sport 
more power. And you, you've got to have a relationship. You're not coming in and, you know, you punch Imlac isn't back there for the Leafs. You know what I mean? You're not just telling players Thank God. what to do, right? You're not telling players what to do so much as collaborating with them and their agents. And that's why I think, yeah, you're going to have an understanding of the league, the market, a relationship with the big agents, but you're going to need it qu- sooner than later, Brian. Yeah. And you talk about the players and not the thing that obviously we're talking about Austin Matthews mainly. Um, July 1st is right around the corner. However, he can sign on July 1st. He can sign anytime after that, right up until the season. Similarly, so can William Nylander, who's also up for a new contract. So those two are the two big guys out there. But they don't have, it's not like the deadline is pressing on them for July 1st. That's so that official deadline those contracts can be signed well into the future obviously not past the year because then they'll be <laughs> total free agents unrestricted free agents but i wouldn't be surprised if this entered into the season or well into training camp and then they'll make an announcement and say hey they've signed an extension here's what it looks like or they get which i think could happen with nylander and definitely will not happen with austin matthews yeah i mean i don't um I don't think that, uh, you know, the Leafs want to, by any means, want to trade an Austin Matthews. But you can't, especially a guy who was removed from being a Hart Trophy candidate. Well, not Hart Trophy candidate, Hart yeah, Trophy that's, winner. That's, that's a non Yeah, you, you don't, yeah. the Leafs don't want to walk away from yeah. him. The ball is in his no. court, you know? So, yeah. And and it, it and it really sounds like he doesn't want to walk away. No, it doesn't. But I mean, that's what. Said. Hey, I mean, if if I was so, a player, on the stage, I w- even if I did want to walk away, I would say I don't want to walk away. I want to keep every option. And or every you would door just open. say nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you would you would you would give one of those middle of the road yeah, answers. Yeah, but and he did. If give you a give a road middle road of the road answer in Toronto, what was going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> the pressure. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> He's yeah, gone. the pressure would have been on <laughs> from the moment that those words left his lips. So one thing we know about Austin Matthews is the guy is a smart young man. You know, he's a smart yes, guy. No so, you know, I wouldn't even be surprised if he, I wouldn't even say coached, but he collaborated with his agent on what to say um, to the Toronto media. Um, that wouldn't shock me in Maybe. the least. You know, let's say something that puts yeah. us, as, as you said before, these guys are mini businesses, not mini, sorry. They're not mi- any, but they are independent corporations. corporations. And it's yes. just Austin Matthews is the CEO of Austin Matthews Hockey Player Inc. And most CEOs mm-hmm. are going to say something that puts their corporation in a positive light as much possible so i it doesn't shock me that austin matthews said you know the right things you know william nylander said the right things i believe that they want to stay in toronto but i don't think that they were going to open it up to speculation that early on Um, no but i do believe especially with austin matthews i think the percentage of him staying here Slipped a little when Kyle Dubas was terminated, especially after what he said about Dubas, you know, in his exit, um, in his exit 
I guess in his exit interviews with the Toronto media. And, and, you, and I'm not saying that that's a deciding factor. I'm just saying that the percentage fell a little bit of the chance of him coming back. But yeah, that's that's my point too. Does this new GM have time to create a relationship? Stuff really starts hitting the fan. And yeah, Austin, to me, Austin Matthews, he's the domino. If he falls, then this, you know, then a lot of different things can happen. If he, hey, if he comes out and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to come back here, which I don't know if that's in his best. Unless the Leafs come at him with an incredible extension. Um, so, you know, I, I'm waiting for him to, to make his move. But I, as I said, I keep reiterating, at least need a GM, at least someone who's going to come in and has maybe has an existing relation Matthews or what we we don't really talk about that much is maybe has an existing relationship with Matthews agent and agency because you don't always have to be buddies with the guy or go golfing with the guy but if you know his agent if you've done business a lot with his agency that's another way to get a with with Austin Matthews yeah maybe I'm not so sure I can get behind I don't think that's going to be one of the criteria that Brendan Shanahan's looking at in terms of bringing a GM GM in, but it might, I mean, it doesn't, it, it couldn't hurt. That's for sure. But I, I, I'm not, I'm not a hundred on that theory, but you know what I thought I find very interesting during this time period is we're not hearing anything about Sheldon Keith. We're hearing stuff about his associate coaches and assistant yeah. coaches. Spencer Carberry is now the coach uh, bench boss in Washington, which was kind of a no brainer was part of their system for yeah. quite some time. But, you know, that's Spencer Carberry. What's happening with Sheldon Keith? You know, he was so tied to Dubas for so many years. Dubas brought him into the lease. Um, they were, they're obviously very good friends away from the game, together in the game in many ways. You got to wonder what Sheldon Keith is thinking at this point, because there's been no word from the Leafs or no word from Keith himself about what his status is, whether he's coming back or whether he's going to be let go. It's you got to think that as lo the longer this goes on, the closer, you know, off season, off ice or on ice training, the likelihood that he is going to be back goes up because you don't want to make a change at that late stage another big change like that um because it just throws it throws a spanner it just makes everything so much more murky and mucky but you know what gms like to hire their own coaches right oh yeah so who knows it's it, to me sheldon Keith is out there twisting in the wind and i don't know if that's a really good look for the maple leafs to tell you yeah and and i agree with you i think he's wind um regardless of who gets, of, of who the Leafs hire as a GM. Because now, uh, if the Leafs don't, um, you know, if the Leafs go through a stretch, a prolonged stretch during the season where they're not playing up to four, if the Leafs get into the playoffs and fall in round one or two, Sheldon Keith is now the natural person to get fired. He's the natural scapegoat. Well, that, see... And, and that would lead you to believe that he's not going to get let go in this period because it gives the Leafs an out for next yeah. season. 
out of the, come out of the blocks next season and they stumble, well then gone. You, you can fire the coach and the GM, whoever it is, can bring. I've got my boy sitting over here waiting. I told you he was the guy, and now I'm going to show you why he is the guy. But that's why I think that he's as much as it seems like he's twisting in the wind now. They're going to give him another kick at the. You know, some Keith. At the end of the day, this guy's probably. I think he is the winningest coach in Leaf history now, if not by total games, and definitely by, by percentage. percentage. Yeah. He's won more games than he's won more games than any other coach in the NHL in the last four or five years, I believe. So, anything but playoff success, this guy has done. He's taken teams. He's changed the way they play. He's improved their defensive standing every year. He's gotten buy-in from the superstars. I mean, the guy can coach in this league. And it's already been said by a lot of people who know this game a lot better than I do. Get fired by the Maple Leafs. He could have his pick of almost any other job out there. That's how highly thought of this guy is right now. And the Leafs have to know that. They know what they have in Sheldon Keith. They also know the results they've gotten for the last four years, too. Yeah. So you got to balance that and say... They can't. You're working under a new boss. You better make this boss look good or else you're not going to be here for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's funny. So all of that take. Yeah, I know. Uh, take on all that together. I think, yeah, he may be twisting in the wind a little bit, but I think he's he's probably here until until. Yeah, I mean, I think he is and he is here. I don't know. You know what? To be honest, if I'm Sheldon Keefe, I'm looking at is this the best situation? For me to uh, to come back in, he's obviously he's a hot commodity around the rest of the league. Well, it ain't a bad situation to come back to. You. No, 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 it's luck. not a bad situation to come back to. But if I'm Sheldon Keefe, would I rather go to a team that I've heard his name floated by that they're interested in, like the Rangers? Would I rather go to a team mm -hmm. sign a five year contract with that team, a team that wants me, a G? gone out and pursued me or do i want to come in to come back with a team who's got a new gm who maybe i know maybe i don't have a relationship with and as you said he's he's the, he's the he's the fall guy he's the natural fall guy yeah. if the leafs don't perform as as they will i'm assuming if the leafs run it back somewhat austin matthews might have an extension william nylander might have an extension you know what I mean? Those guys will be a lot more, mm -hmm. uh, not that Matthews isn't safe, but the players will be a lot more safe than the coach. So, I mean, unless and they give, and they give him a bunch of money, um, you know, they throw a bunch of years on his, on his contract, I mean, yeah, then Sheldon Keefe looks to me like, you know, it, just forget about, forget about this being the Leafs, Brian, Forget about what he's done to back 50 games uh, plus seasons. But for from his point of view, is this the best situation for him? Potentially. Potentially it's not. You know, if I was giving this to you or anyone in a business situation, Brian, you can go over to this podcast. This They want you. They're going to you. Or you can stay with Keith and he's hired a, a senior producer who, you know, he's he's favoring Keith here. <laughs> you might you might just go to where the grass is greener, you know? So we're gonna have to Or or you may say, I like to finish what I started. Yeah. I, I think that's you know, and there's a lot to be 
mean, hey, look, we understand if you can win here in Toronto, if Sheldon Keefe can be that coach, yeah, man, he's immortalized, right? Goodness. But, you know. It more, is there something beyond immortalization? <laughs> I mean, because that would be yeah. it if you won. If, yeah, I don't even want to talk about that because it's talking about if, if you were to win a cup. Well, but that's, that's finishing but, when you start, though, here. Yeah, I know that is the, that is the that is the only thing, right? That is the yeah. Only what's thing. left for what's left Look, for there's him? There's so many. Do. Nothing. Win the cup. That's it. And that's what they said the last couple of years. You know, it's not about winning around for us. Cup. That's what that's what this guy is supposed to do for us. Not just Keith, but that's what Matthews has was supposed to mean for this franchise: a chance to win the cup. Now they've had a chance to compete for it. Let's get to the winning part. You know, there's so many questions coming out of Leafland, but my segue to the <laughs> Raptors, by the way, in Raptors world, there are some answers, but one big question remains. Nick Nurse has a job. Adrian Griffin has a job. And guess where? Eastern Jeez. Conference. Guess who? Milwaukee and Philadelphia. If you had teams that were dire enemies to the Toronto Raptors, I think those two might be right at the top of the list. Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Nick Nurse is going to be coaching with Joel Embiid, maybe James Harden, and Adrian Griffin has the Greek freak. Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Nick Nurse, Adrian Griffin. How did we get to this point with the Toronto Raptors? You know, what's unbelievable to me, Brian, is remember a couple months back when Nick Nurse was in Philadelphia, and all of the questions hmm. about whether, you know, back and I feel slightly betrayed. That's man. where it all started, yeah. too. That's the crazy thing. That's where I it all feel started. Slightly betrayed. I think if Nick Nurse had said right then and there on that day, uh, you know, I'm coming back to Toronto. This is where I want to be. Right now, all of those dominoes. Mm -hmm. And Nick Nurse is still the coach in Toronto and not the coach of the 76ers. Hey, make no mistake about it, Brian. 76ers players and fans hate the Toronto Raptors, man. They hate the Toronto yep. Raptors. They hated us before shot, and they hated mm -hmm. us even more after when we laugh at memes of Joel Embiid crying. Like, they hate, <laughs> they hate us. And for Nick Nurse to go to the arch rivals. I think they're even bigger rivals than Milwaukee. The hate they have for us. And for Nick Nurse to yeah, go there. And, and there's more history there. There's more history. Yeah, there's more and history you know what? There. I can forgive Adrian Griffin because he's getting a promotion. He's yeah. getting to be. And he's been doing that assistant gig for a long yeah, time. Yeah, he's getting to be the number one guy. And you know what? You get your first head coaching job, man, you're usually not handed the keys yeah. to the Milwaukee Bucks. You're usually given, no. you know, uh, you know, you're the Sacramento, nah. the old Sacramento yeah, you're Kings. Given a, you're yeah. given a, a slim gym and you're trying to jimmy the doors of the Detroit Pistons. You're not handed the keys. Yeah. You know, here you go, buddy. Here's the keys to Milwaukee, who all they need is health. Man. Yeah. Hey, remember, people, you know, hey, forget how the playoffs has fallen. Like Milwaukee, you know, the best team in the East. Did they not have that 17-game yep. win streak? You know? Yep. 
record in the entire NBA. They, I know. And that's what, I mean. But, you know, n- not to make this a Milwaukee pro- podcast, but they have some significant changes ahead of them too, though, in terms of their They roster. do. Is Brooke Lopez going to be back? Yeah. I mean, he's getting up. That's a question. He's getting up there. That's a but question. Brooke Lo- it's not even about age. It's about con- Lopez, though, seems to me to be a guy that, you know, at, at I will say at his age of 35, it seems like he's been in the league forever. But he does seem yeah. like, you know, he can play a role. And again, he's another big guy who's just changed his game, right? So, I mean, to to here's the thing is, is Brooke Lopez going to be back? Who knows? What's going to go on with? Is Chris Middleton yeah, what's going to go back? on with Chris Middleton? What's going to go on with, you know, yeah. Wesley Matthews? The main point is you've got the Greek freak, right? And I mean... <laughs> I Harding point. You've got one of them. Yeah. You've got one of He's them. He's 28 years old, Brian. Nick Nurse now has one of them, too. Yeah. I know. Nick Nurse now has one of them, yep. too. It's like both Adrian Griffin and Nick Nurse are just, it's just like we could not have, we haven't had one of these since. Now they're both in situations where they've got one of yeah. them. Yeah. But you know what? To you me, know, it's, it looks like Milwaukee, just their current roster. For me, Milwaukee yeah. seems to be a better fit for Adrian Griffin than Philadelphia is for Nick Nurse. I, I just can't. I, I mean, I've watched a guy play for what fourteen years, James Harden. I, James Harden to me, Brian, is one of the worst defense. No, one of the most disinterested defensive players that I've seen on a nightly yeah. basis. How is that going to work with what is Nick? Nurse? perceived style and what it's been here with Toronto. How does that work? I mean, mm-hmm. that's, you know, he, James Harden isn't a guy that you can go to and say, Hey, uh, play this way or else, you know, he's played that way for so long. I, I need you to run those guys. Yeah. <laughs> run, run where run what? Yeah. That's to me, that is <laughs> no, not happening. No. I mean, well, that's it. That's kind of a good thing that he's a free agent then, isn't it? Yeah, it's a good thing. But, you know, um, we we're just even talking about the Leafs and uh, GM. Uh, well, you never know. Uh, 76ers GM again as still. Is it still Daryl Morey? Yeah. And of who's one of his favorite players of all time? James, James Harden. Harden. So, I mean... So, is he going to give him $50 million to go stand around on defense and threes? Yeah, you know. Maybe run a two-man game with uh, with old Embiid? Probably. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought him back. I really wouldn't because, as you said, Daryl Morey has a lot of faith in James Harden and the way he plays basketball. But does that marry with what Nurse is going to bring to the team? Always, One of the things they say about Nick Nurse is that he can take anybody and coach them. Yeah. He can coach any style. He can adapt anything. He'll bring something new to everything. He's just a coaching genius. So we're going to see that on display because I can't think of two more type personalities and players to have on a team to try and change the way that they go about doing things than Joel Embiid and James Harden. So Nick Nurse is going to have his his, uh, his work cut out for him. Less so than Adrian Griffin, who's just a tough, hard-nosed guy. And he's got a 
was super oh, yeah. willing to run through walls. So that's going to be a marriage made in heaven, if you ask me. I'm really looking forward to see Adrian Griffin as a head coach, though, because I've always admired him as a player when he played in the league. I thought he was just that kind of guy. He was just a tough, tough player who worked for everything he got. And if he brings that kind of ethic to man, Milwaukee's going to be a bitch. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, as I said, it doesn't shock me. I think that Milwaukee roster is, um, can tie in really well with not just the Greek freak, but, you know, the guys, the other guys, the Pat Connaughton's, the Grayson Allen's, the Bobby Portis. I think those guys, they already run and fly. They're already guys who fly around out there defensively anyways. So, I mean, that yeah. to me kind of falls in line with what Adrian Griffin, Nick Nurse have been known to do, you know? So that doesn't shock, that doesn't think it's a better fit. Nick Nurse, hey, look, you know what? You said Nick Nurse has been known to be a, a coaching savant, a genius, but you know what? I really didn't see it this year. I, I saw a guy who has a particular style and kept trying to fit, you know, around, you know, a, you know, a square peg into a round hole or vice versa. So he will have to do, like, he's going to really have to do one of his best coaching jobs ever to, to get these guys to buy in. Does Joel Embiid going to buy in? That's the main thing. Is he going to buy into what Nick Nurse is, is, I don't know. I mean, maybe they, I, maybe they well, had to go to, I to think, Joel and, and, and say, what do you think of Nick Nurse? I would assume and I would hope that they actually did that for Nick Nurse's sake, not for the Sixers. Because I wish they didn't do that because I don't care if the Sixers implode. <laughs> so, you know. Likely they did based on the comments that uh, Embiid has already started yeah, saying. Yeah, I'm sure they Nick did. Nurse. He's sort of, you know, there's, there, look, you don't, you don't bash someone unless you respect them. Right. And that's what Embiid and Nurse have been doing with each other over the years. Not necessarily bashing, but, you know, Embiid is always taking shots at Nurse. Well, you do that with people you respect. And said that he respects Nick Nurse and is looking forward to playing for him. So I'm not surprised there because what does Embiid want? What is he lacking? An NBA championship. Yep. And he knows that Nick Nurse is brought in to do one thing, to get the Sixers over the hump. They've been knocking on. Look, a lot of people thought win the championship this season and they fell short so nick nurse is there for one thing a lot of pressure but they have the reigning mvp they may have james harden tyrese maxi is just grown by leaps and bounds in front of us got a good squad man um is tobias harris's contract up there too is he a free i think agent? Tobias. yeah i think tobias they got to make a decision on what to do with so him. that's that's lo- that's money under the cap, right? So they got room to make 37 million. maneuvers. <laughs> yeah, so they're going to be a player again in the East. Um, the East just got a whole lot, a whole lot more like Raptorsville. So the question now becomes: as we're sitting here looking at a head coach in Philly and a head coach in Milwaukee, yep. who's going to be the head coach in Toronto? Because Masai and Bobby have not said word one yet. Yeah. Can we hope that they pull something, you know, a shocking, you know, move out of where? I I mean, I'm looking around the league and you know what, Brian, what I really don't want is an NBA retread. I don't want an NBA retread, man. I, I, 
coach okay. that's that's got fresh ideas that's gonna grow especially with like scotty barnes um 100 that to me is is key if I, I want a coach to tell you the truth i can figure out a way to pair to marry coordinate the games of scotty barnes and pascal siakam because i really think there's something there with those two i really do you know, I, that's what I want to see. And I don't think they ever really got to that this season. Primarily because Scotty struggled for much of the season until the end. Flashes every once in a while with Scotty and Pascal that said there's something there. So if, I get, if we get a coach that can unlock that, that'll go a long way to making the Raptors' fortunes a whole lot better in the upcoming seasons. But I'm, I'm, one of the things I don't want to get into is this whole speculation about who the Raptors are interviewing mm -hmm. and all that. It doesn't matter who they're interviewing. When they make the announcement, then we can sit here and, and you know, bat it back and forth and say what we think and who, who we think and how we think and what they're going to bring. Because that would be more interesting than speculating if it's going to be Steve Nash, Becky Hammond, Kevin Quinn, or whoever. Well, it's not going to be Becky you Hammond. Know? No, it's <laughs> not going to be Becky Hammond. I just threw her in there because I, you know, I, I kind of like Becky Hammond. She stepped on her own tongue that yeah. time. But um, that's a whole other story. Look, I think we should just leave it there because at some point in the next little while, we're going to hear some big announcements from both the Leafs and the Raptors. And we'll have a whole lot to say about that on an upcoming podcast. Well, that's it for episode 29 of The Puck and Hoop. Hey, man, episode 30 is just ahead. Don't you dare miss it. If you're listening to this announcement, you've made it to the end of another TIY podcast. The opinions, views, and statements you've heard on this edition of Puck and Hoop are solely those of the host, guests, and their sources. The purpose of the Puck and Hoop Narrowcast is to entertain and inform our listeners, followers, and subscribers, and to help them form their own opinions. Thanks for listening.